The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Now, our next guest is, amongst many things, a novelist. He's a comedian. He's an actor on stage and television and many other things that we get to as well. His new book is Brouhaha. It's his second novel. Ardell O'Hanlon, thank you very much for joining us. Brouhaha, I love that word. But for those people who aren't familiar with it, because it's not a word you hear used very often, what does it mean? but it's one of my favourite words. It means kind of kerfuffle or a big hoo-ha or, you know, a, 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 a sort of... It's a way to describe, like, it can mean anything, I suppose. It's vague. It could it could mean, like, uh, you, you bumped into someone and your glasses fell off. You know, oh, there was a bit of a brouhaha there outside the shops. Or it could mean there was a massacre down the road, you know. So it could mean, it could mean anything. And I think that's what attracted me to that title. Uh, because where I come from, it's all about understatement. Um, so, so when someone says a, there was a brouhaha yesterday, you don't quite know what they mean. And you have to dig deeper. Okay, and because another word that pops up in the book, which again, belubas. Now, you used it in a particular context I'm not going to go into on air. But as you also point out in the book, or as one of your characters points out, it is a book or is a word with many, many meanings as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's one of the beauties of, of the way we use language in this country generally and in the border region in particular, um, you know, where, where I where I draw my inspiration from. Uh, just people have a great way with words and Balubas, as as most of your listeners will know, were, were a tribe in the Congo back in the 60s uh, and the Irish army had a, had a, had a well-documented altercation with the Balubas. And, uh, and since then, that word has crept into the language in all sorts of different ways. So it can mean, you know, I, and I, I heard this regularly growing up, I was Balubas would mean I was drunk or I was palatic or all these... You know, and I think people strive, uh, to, you know, they reach for other words to describe the thing that they're talking about for fun. I mean, we just love playing with language. Uh, it can mean it can mean body parts as well. Balubas, it can mean anything, basically. But you're drawn back to the border region all the time. And I was thinking about this because and not giving anything away. You're a man in his mid 50s now at this stage. You grew up in Monaghan, Carrick Macross, which obviously is the inspiration for the town that is the centrepiece of Brouhaha. But you went to boarding school, secondary school. You moved to college in Dublin. Uh, you've lived between Dublin and London all your life. And yet you keep getting drawn back to the border region. And you seem really comfortable in writing yeah. about the people and the way of life there. Why yeah. is that? I actually wondered about that recently and I was thinking about it and I just happened to pick up a book in a bookshop only a few days ago. Uh, it was a Graham Greene novel. I've got, I've got into Graham Greene again uh, uh, for some reason. And there was a foreword in that book by Colm Tobin and he was talking about that exact thing about writers generally are, are, are very drawn to a time in their life that was formative, I think. And uh, he was just pointing out examples of that in Graham Greene's fiction. Uh, so it's quite interesting, and I think um, you know I'm going to start looking out for that in in in, in other writers' work. Um, you know, I just think that's that's part of the architecture of your mind or whatever. You know, so that town uh, that I grew up in, you know, and and it's a town that I'm very fond of, and, and I'm very fond of the people there. Um, but I'm so familiar with every detail of that town. Like when you're young, you know, you you, you know, I would have known every house in the town. I would have known who lived in every house. I would have known the car edges of every person. You know, I don't know the car edges of every one of my neighbours now. I don't know who lives in every house now on my street. You know, but, but when you're a child, all that stuff is all new and wonderful. 
and you know you're curious and and um, but you're highly observant, but you also retained it all. Yeah, but I think people do. You know, I think people do. I think people on their deathbeds, when they've forgotten everything else, I think they remember their childhoods. They remember the relationship they had with their mother uh, as a child. Um, you know, they remember the smells and sounds of childhood. I, you know, I think that is what we retain ultimately. Uh, um, you know, because that's when we're most impressionable. Our, our little brains are our little sponges and, and you, know, you know, we absorb so much more uh, of that detail. Um, but... And, but I think, like in this instance, like in the in the novel Bruhaha, I, I mean, I'm attracted to it for a slightly different reason. You know, I just think, I think it's rich territory, it's rich terrain. You know, uh, explain the story to listeners. What oh, is well, the story? I mean, the story in a nutshell is like um, there is a, a death in the town. Uh, this character called Dove Conley. He's a minor character, really, but he, he he dies, and that opens a can of worms. It's an apparent suicide. So an old friend of his returns from exile, a sort of a forced exile. He's been in exile for about 13 years, wandering uh, the, the world. And uh, he comes back to find out what happened to his friend. Uh, the girlfriend of this guy who, who, who whose demise kind of incites the novel um, disappeared in mysterious circumstances some 13 years previously. So this opens a huge big can of worms. Other people get involved. There's, a, there's an old detective who's my favourite character in the book, uh, Kevin Healy. And he is uh, his uh, position within the force is not very certain. He's a bit of a fantasist, a bit of a, an autodidact. You know, he's uh, he's his, his head is full of all this knowledge. He's kind of a Walter Mitty kind of a character. But he he so had why do you associate so much with him? <laughs> I don't know, but he's definitely the one I identify most with. Um, but uh, so he had a personal interest in this case as well. And then you also have this journalist, a provincial journalist, Joanne, who's also probably a manifestation of me in some way, uh, who who knew the the person who went missing as well in in a vague way. And she's slightly compromised. She's she's her own secrets. Everyone has their own secrets. And these three people are investigating what happened this person who went missing all those years ago and uh, and and why. And it's great fun as much as anything else and it's violent in parts and it's got so much in it but also getting back to the use of language which I love and the little jokes everywhere. For example, describe for me by what you mean as an aggressive rosary. <laughs> um, an aggressive rosary. Yeah, I'm sure a lot it comes of people... Up, it comes up in a scene when there's a wake yeah, in the house. Yes, there is a wake and it's a very tense scene. Um, like this book is... You know, it is it, it has pretty serious themes, yeah. but you know there is a comic sensibility to it. I think, uh, and it kind of, I suppose, one of my touchstones would have been a film like Fargo, the Coen Brothers film, uh, where you have that very deadpan tone, which I was familiar with growing up. You've got that very dark humor. You've got those undercurrents of violence. So you've got all that going on, but you do have the humor. And uh, so this is a wake, and I would say it's a typical Irish wake. But it's a very there's a very tense sort of standoff at this wake. Um, and there's a rosary in the background. And as the scene progresses, the, the rosary becomes more aggressive. And what I mean by that is people just get more and more into it and they're driving it and it becomes relentless. And it's one of those extra long rosaries, you know, where people start adding in new bits, like, like invoking various saints that may or may not even exist. It's almost to punish people, you know. So there's this kind of thing going on. Uh, um, you know, and, and people are getting very restless and they're, they're, they can't leave until the rosary's over and they're pinned to their seats. And you know that kind of way that we used to do rosaries growing up uh, where you're kneeling down and your head is absolutely buried in an armchair or something. So it's all muffled as well, the rosary. 
course, this doesn't happen in Dublin anymore. I've noticed this trend recently that there isn't a wake. There's nothing in the house or there's no removal the night before. Everyone just goes straight to the funeral on the day. But I don't think that's caught on outside of Dublin yet, has it? I think it's still very popular. I mean, I did a show, a documentary a few years ago uh, called Guess Who's Dead on RTE. And uh, we talked about all that, that funeral culture and how important it is to us. Um, and, you know, I think it, I think there's there's something terribly missing when you don't say a proper farewell to the dead. The inspiration for this book, I was fascinated. I was reading the piece you did with Frank McNally, another Carrick Macross man mm. in the Irish Times at the weekend. And you point out the idea for part of the story came not from something that had happened locally, but something you'd picked up on an English newspaper when you were on tour in a regional newspaper. And two things jumped out at me from that. One, that you make the effort in every location that you're going into to find something local to work into your act for that particular night. Yeah. Which I thought, because an awful lot of comedians I would have thought just have the standard act that they go with every night irrespective of location. You don't. Well, no. I mean, I do what I call my due diligence, I suppose, uh, when I get to a town. I think it just adds to the experience for yourself to know a little bit about the place you're in. I would always, when I arrive in a town, um, let's say in England, I'll always get there early I'll always go for a big long walk uh, I'll always try and see whatever the local attractions are have a look at the cathedral or whatever and um, and then I will do my little bit of research and, and I'll read the local newspapers to see if there's any current news event that you might be able to but, but sorry you've actually preempted my second question because and it's something and I've known you for over 30 years and we've been friends for that long you're interested in so many things I mean you're always looking to find out new things and meet new people yeah yeah, I think I am quite curious and quite restless. And sometimes, you know, I'm my own worst enemy in that regard because you end up jumping around from medium to medium and perhaps not being taken entirely seriously in, in certain mediums. You know, I know as a writer that not everyone will, will, will buy into that, you know, that uh, they may question your bona fides as a writer. And that's absolutely fair enough. And, um, you know, people are naturally sceptical about, about... But, I mean, I can't help it. That's just me. I'm, I'm you know... But hang on, you've always been a writer because, OK, this is your second novel and there's a gap of, what is it, 25 years between yes. first and second. Thank you for but in the way. meantime, you've been writing all of your own material. I mean, you yeah. are a comedian who writes his own yeah. material, well, literally every you? day of my life, I sit down at my desk in front of the blank page. So the process is exactly the same, whether you're writing a script for a documentary, whether you're writing a novel or whether you're writing a joke. You know, it's the same thing. You're digging deep into your own soul. That's a bit dramatic, but you are you are going down the mine every day to try and find whatever it is that you want to, whatever itch it is that you need to scratch. You know, you're trying to describe something, a feeling, an experience. You're trying to express yourself. You're trying to explain the world to yourself. So, you know, and sometimes that is the stupidest thing in the world. You're just trying to distill everything into a little joke, a little throwaway joke that you might use five times. Other times, like in this case with the novel, it's giving yourself the space to sit down and pour everything you know and have learned and have heard uh, into a into a story that I don't know. It, it kind of um, it's a, it's a story that I particularly wanted to tell anyway. Well, it's a great, entertaining read, and entertainment is what you're about to a large extent as well, isn't it? I try to write the kind of book that I like to read. So you want to write a book that's funny, that's uh, thought provoking, that's hopefully insightful, that is is humane. And and above all, as you suggest, entertaining. You know, as a reader, you want to be entertained. Life is short enough without being entertained. And you do a lot of other entertainment. In fact, when I gave a list of the things you did at the start, I left out the TV documentaries and indeed appearances on television. And one thing that my production team insisted I had to ask you about, because some of them are loving it at the moment, is Taskmaster. Yeah. Now, 
Uh, tell us a little bit about, for those who aren't familiar with this TV programme, what it is and what your role in it has been in the current series. Uh, well, it is the silliest TV programme ever conceived. Um, so what you have is Greg Davis, people will be familiar with, the very tall, tall uh, uh, comedian, who is a wonderful comedian and he is the taskmaster. And his sidekick is Alex Horn, who actually devised the show. And Alex and Greg have this wonderful double act. So they select five contestants. Uh, it's me, it's a guy called Chris Ramsey, who's a very well-known comedian with one of the biggest podcasts in, in the UK at the moment. Judy Love, who is a Strictly t- uh, c- contestant. Strictly uh, Come Dancing. Strictly Come Dancing okay. contestant. But she's a wonderful comedian. Uh, the Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Sophie Jupiter, who's also a wonderful comedian. So the five of us are given uh, loads of tasks, the sillier the better, by Alex. And it's about our efforts to, to complete these tasks. Some of them are kind of like locked room mysteries. Uh, that, you know, you know they're, 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 they're physical challenges, they're mental challenges, but ultimately it's just a very, very silly show. Uh, I'm not particularly good at any of the tasks. So I had to devise a strategy very quickly. And my main thing is to undermine the efforts of the others. Okay, hang on. Why weren't you good at the tasks? Because I'm old. I'm I'm in my 50s and my brain doesn't function properly. Uh, 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 after two years of lockdown, um, you know, we shot it last summer. And um, it, 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 so so you don't see what the other people do until you get into the studio. So, so I would have done all my tasks in, in advance on my own. And then later on in the autumn, we went into the studio. And then for the first time, we see what everyone else did. And we talk about it and we have a bit of knockabout humour. <laughs> slagging each other off and stuff. So it's just a very silly show. And and uh, I have to say, I've enjoyed it probably more than anything I've ever done. Because you don't do that type of television normally. I mean, the one thing I would have thought that over the last 25 years, you must have been asked to go on every panel show. And God knows British television had enough comedians, talking heads on all types of shows. And you hardly ever showed up in any of them. Yeah, I know. I was always very shy about that. I mean, you know, I actually like a quiet life, you know, and I and I tend to spend a lot of time at home, you know, not doing an awful lot, to be honest with you. Um, the panel shows, like, I, you know, even the ones I really liked, I kind of shied away from. And I think that's just me. I was a bit, I wouldn't say precious, but a bit self-conscious about being myself on television. I know it's a really stupid thing to say, but that's the way I felt. But hang on, would you necessarily be yourself? Aren't, aren't these people always playing out personas? Yeah. Uh, I think acting I think, as to an extent. Well, yeah, I mean, in stand-up, you definitely are. You kind of arm yourself with a with a persona, which is an extension of yourself. And obviously, when you're playing a role, you know, you're 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 playing somebody different. But I think it is. It's a bit different on the panel shows. I mean, you know, it's it's also a little bit cutthroat, a little bit competitive sometimes. And, you know, there was a few reasons why I didn't want to do it. And it would take up too much of your time as well. Uh, uh, but this one was slightly different because it's such a fun filled show. It was also, I suppose, the pandemic happened in the meantime. And I changed my mindset, frankly, you know. I realised that life is short and getting shorter by the day. And, you know, uh, so I kind of got over myself in that sense. So I kind of lost that kind of self-consciousness. And I found it absolutely liberating to do a show like that, to be a big child for for weeks on end. Uh, I think we're in episode seven tomorrow night of 10. Uh, And it's just been such fun. The other thing that you're also on television and it's tonight, Thursday, Tomb Raider, uh, the RT documentary, which I think has shown on BBC Four and is out on RT tonight. What's that about? And you do quite a few documentaries now. Yeah, I love the documentaries. Um, so this one is really interesting. So it's very niche. 
uh, I won't lie to you, it's kind of quirky. It's, <laughs> it's about an archaeological quest in the 1930s in Ireland to find out who we really are. So it's about the Celts and the origins of the Celts and the drive by the cultural nationalists at the time, both north and south, to kind of prove that there was a great civilization here that predates the British especially. Sorry, the 1930s, that sounds almost a bit sort of fascist. Well, it kind of was in a way. I mean, you know, there was uh, archaeology was big stuff in Europe in, in the 30s. Generally speaking. The Nazis liked it, didn't they? The Nazis loved it. And we actually employed, uh, would you believe it, a card-carrying Nazi here in Ireland as the head of our national museum, a guy called Adolf Marr. Uh, there was a big, um, you know, when we were setting up our institutions in Ireland, like the Electricity Board and so on, we, we for, for, you know, for obvious reasons, we didn't employ British know-how. So we went further afield. We went to Europe, to France and Germany to get, you know, experts in to head up these new institutions. And then in the National Museum, we got this guy, Adolf Marr, who is a card-carrying Nazi as the 30s progress. Um, again, you know, well-documented. So for me, this story was absolutely fascinating. Now, it was brought to me by the producer, uh, director, Chris Nickel, who's a fabulous bloke. And uh, he asked me to get involved and I jumped at it because it's right down my street. I love yeah. all this stuff in the 30s. Um, so... And what so, did you find about the, the origins, the ethnicity of the Irish, North and South? Well, well, what's really interesting is like, and I suppose the documentary is kind of set up in, in a kind of a, there's a sort of a, um, a, a competitive element to it in the sense that in Ireland, under Adolf Marr's uh, leadership, we, we kind of ignored any findings archaeologically that, you know, that came after, say, the Vikings. You know, we didn't want, really want to know about anything that was found after that. We, we, wanted, we wanted evidence. So we were kind of actively looking for evidence of a Celtic civilization, a pure, unadulterated Celtic civilization, which is kind of ridiculous in, 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 in current terms, because, you know, of course, like there's really, you know, there's no such thing as race apparently now, you know, and we speak to a geneticist about this sort of stuff later on. Uh, and we were trying to prove that the Celts came from, France and Spain and, and ultimately from somewhere else. But in Northern Ireland at exactly the same time and, and they were investigating the same type of prehistoric sites, they were trying to prove that the Celts came up through Britain. So, so it was actually quite interesting. Like, like so, so archaeology was being sort of hijacked by the politics yeah, of the time because like Northern Ireland was trying to find its feet as a, as a fledgling state as well at the same time as we were. And it's very important to have these origin myths. So, so they were able to prove in Northern Ireland, I suppose, that there was a kind of a British civilization that was there long before the plantations. Well, I suppose so if that's you look long enough and hard enough, you might find something. But in this, it. but like you, you, you find what you want to find ultimately. Yeah. Uh, uh, so even something as dry and dull as archaeology was being hijacked by the by the kind of cultural nationalists of the time. Okay, that is Tomb Raiders. That's on RT television tonight. You've also been in Derry Girls. I don't even have a chance to talk to you about that. I am told I'm out of time, so I'm going to have to ask you one other thing. You are speaking at the International Literature Festival in Dublin about brouhaha and novels. When is that on? That is Friday night at 8 o'clock in Merrion Square. Okay, and I don't know where the tickets are available, but I'm sure you'll find them online easily enough for the International Literature Festival Dublin. Ardla Hannan, thank you very much for being with us on the programme. Thanks a million. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.
Getting value on your shopping has never been more important. That's why at SuperValue, we have great offers for a quality summer. Shop hundreds of low prices online at supervalue.ie and get them hand-picked and delivered to your door. Order before 12 noon for same-day delivery or collection. Plus, when you download our new Real Rewards app, you'll get money-off vouchers every single week. That's low prices that compete with anyone. SuperValue. Real food. Real people.